This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right. How the heck are you doing here on a Thursday? Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Hello. Uh, we're, uh, we're dealing with uh, some stuff. We'll get into around the NFL in just a second. But more and more sporting events, Steve, along the East Coast are being canceled due to the smoke from the Canadian wildfires up in yeah. Quebec and in Ottawa. Um, it's bad. The Bills, yeah. for a second straight day of their OTA practices, practiced indoors in the field house. And Steve and I were walking through the field house yesterday, and just because of the air intakes at the top of the field house to circulate the air, you could see smoke in the yeah. top of the field house indoors. Yeah, it was hazy in here yesterday. And uh, they were they really didn't have a, a full-blown practice. I was talking to one of the guys yesterday, and, and he was leaving town today because one of, one of the guys on the team's getting married. I don't want to mention any names, or anything, but somebody's getting married. One of the guys getting married. They're all going to the wedding. So some of the guys are taking off today. I don't know where the wedding's Saturday, Sunday, tomorrow. I don't know when it is. But they're all taking off and going to that. So taking full advantage of this last of the day of the week and the fact that it's all voluntary anyway. Right. Uh, some brief calisthenics out in the field house, and I think they called it a day. But the Yankees game in New York got canceled last night. Yeah, everybody's taken of, off. Because the, the air quality was so poor. Extracurricular activities here in the area for some of the schools. Yes, they, they like ichnade all of that stuff. That's yep, not those happening. were canceled. Not all canceled. And now we just got word that the Washington Nationals baseball game is canceled tonight. So all the way down in D.C., they are feeling the effects of this, and um, there's no sign of it dying down. Canada is right now in a national preparedness level five meaning Canada has basically committed all of its national resources to right. mobilize in the fight against the fires. President Biden said sent 600 firefighters up north to try to help them out. Uh, there are experts coming in from Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa to try to help fight the fires. Uh, it was interesting to read that some of them were started by lightning. Lightning strikes increase with each degree uh, that the temperature increases by a, by a factor of 12%, at least from what we're reading here. But uh, humans were the cause of some of the fires in Quebec. So everything from a spark from a railway car to a discarded cigarette butt this can I'm lead reading, to a forest you know, fire. Some of the, the, you know, you get stuff being written constantly. This was from last night, 7... 720 or something that said, you know, at that, 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 that moment, there were 130 forest fires going in Quebec, and under 100, just under 100 of them were considered out of control. Ain't, ain't nobody out there fighting them because they're in remote areas. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, 20,000 people have been displaced. Um, the satellite photos are fascinating. Yeah, Just it is. the distance covered by the smoke. And, you know, my daughter works in New York City. I know you've got a son right. in New York. She sent me pictures yesterday from her office building, which basically overlooks the end of the East River. And on a good day, you can see the Statue of Liberty clear as a bell from her office building. You can't even see across the street. Right. In the lower end of Manhattan there. It's terrible. So, I mean, I'm sure people have seen it on social media. You know, the sky was like orange yesterday afternoon 
in New York City, and that's why they canceled the Yankees game. Yeah. And we saw some of that here, too. I mean, two days ago, I'm leaving the office, and I could see visible smoke blowing over the top of Highmark Stadium. Um, it's really impacted a lot of stuff, um, not just sporting-wise, but just general quality of life-wise. I mean, right. they were telling people in Syracuse where it was supposedly the worst of all, don't even take your pets outside. Right. Because they'll be more affected, you know, than, than a human would. And, it, so, you know, as we all know, I mean, it's, it doesn't take a genius to know. It's just it's the way the wind's blowing. Um, if the wind shifts, it, it's going to be smoky somewhere else rather than where you're at. And um, you kind of have to wait it out. And you kind of look at the big – it's one of the one times you look at the big, huge weather map that they've got over the country and you think, okay, where's it going to go? When's this going to happen? It's going to be a couple of days. Yeah, it's not it's not going anywhere anywhere any place fast. And it may, and even if it dies down in the coming days, there may be further dealings with it because the Canadian government issued this updated outlook for the wildfire season, saying the projections in June indicate the potential for continued higher than normal fire activity across most of the country. I mean, it hasn't rained here in three weeks. It's dry here. It's probably just as dry due north of us. That always you know, leads to smaller things can lead to more forest fires. Like the slightest spark, the the forest is like a tinderbox when it hasn't rained in three weeks. Right. So you really got problems there. So good luck to the people north of the border um, in trying to get a handle on that stuff and at least get some of those fires under control. But there's more than 40 of them going right now. I mean, it's it's like a giant animal that yeah. nobody can control it's not, it's not yeah and they say you know some of this stuff says this probably some of these are going to be burning for weeks they just can't get up there to do it there's so it's such a vast area and uh it's you know it's, it's as we all know it's it's kind of bad here it's really bad up there yeah uh, but they said syracuse was the worst in new york state and that's saying something, considering all the footage we saw from, right, from New York City, City yesterday. Yeah. Um, so hopefully things get better sooner rather than later, because it's—I mean—it's impacting a lot of people, and it's even impacting the sporting schedule. It's pretty wild. Um, just thought we'd mention that. So good luck to the firefighters doing brave work up there, and hopefully they can yeah, get some of this it's all, under control. It's all hands on deck. The U.S.—we've sent a—you know—I I read 600 firefighters plus equipment up there. Um, other, what were you saying, international liaisons from all around the New country? New Zealand, all, Australia, yeah, South all, Africa, they're all, all around flying. around the globe, in. people are come, bringing in, coming in to try and help out. So. And, and we just found this out this morning. The Giants canceled their practice today. They were going to practice indoors in their practice bubble, which for Bills fans who have ever been down to MetLife Stadium for Bills-Jets games, you can see their practice bubble is right across yeah. the parking lot. The air quality was too poor, too poor for them to even practice indoors. The Eagles in Philadelphia moved their practice indoors due to poor air quality. So, and as we said, the Bills were inside for the second yeah. straight day here in Orchard Park this due to the of, air quality. One of the stories I'm looking at from a Canadian publication, 400 blazes are burning across Canada, 20,000 people displaced, the United States, 600 firefighters yeah. and equipment to Canada, along with other countries who are also helping, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau on the phone with the president. You know, they're talking back and forth about what they can do and what they can help. Uh, and that's also where I read that about 100 or just under 100 fires were out of control. Uh, 
It's rough going. It's remote man. areas of Quebec where the wildfires are intensely. You know, you know, we know how it is here, particularly in New York State. You get out, you get out in the Adirondacks, you can't get through there to go fight a fire. Yeah, limited passage. You, Brownie was showing some. We had some film on where. Guys Nova were dri driving in Nova Scotia, driving down the road, and it's like the California wildfires where you got a paved road, and that's the only thing that's stopping the fire from going to the other side, you yeah. know? And, or uh, it's just jumping the road. It's jumping completely. the road, yeah. When it's windy enough, those sparks will just jump the road. And well, wow. It's something. It is. I, I've never, you know. It's not a thing, we're, though, right? We're, we're familiar with the, with the California wildfires right. and, you know, the, the problems that that causes. And, you know, you'll see it on the nightly news. They'll talk about the efforts being made to try to at least contain the fire or reroute it, you know, so they can steer it away from residential areas. But we've seen almost no live footage. Steve and I were hunting for, like, live, like how bad is this? And we saw some mm -hmm. of those images of people driving right through it. It's pretty crazy out in Nova Scotia. Um, so hopefully the situation gets better before it gets worse. Um, we should go around the NFL, though, at this point in time. We mentioned some of the things going on in the NFL, namely that the Eagles had to move their practice inside. And around the NFL, brought to you by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And then the Giants canceled their practice altogether. Um, the Jets wanted to move theirs inside. I don't know if they got their work done today or not. There was no word out of Jets OTA practices as to whether that happened. But as we said, the Bills were inside for a second straight day. But the biggest news is the anticipated release of Minnesota Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. Looks like that release will happen before 4 o'clock today if it hasn't happened already. And the Vikings will owe Dalvin Cook $2 million this year once they release him. But by releasing them, they're also going to save $9 million in cap space. They'll take on a little over $5 million in dead money. And already there are teams deemed to be the favorites to land Dalvin Cook. They are Denver, Miami, and then a dark horse is supposed to be Tennessee. So we know that Miami just cleared some cap space with the post-June 1st designation of Byron Jones. So... They've got money to use if they want. We are hearing reports that Sean Payton is eager to get Dalvin Cook in Denver looking for an Alvin Kamara-type player, and Cook certainly is that. Um, Javante Williams, not quite the athlete in terms of shiftiness and elusiveness you know, that Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara are. So yeah. you understand why he's looking for that skill set for his offense. Think about this, and it was said by a, a friend of the show, Andrew Brand, you've got a couple, two or three franchise running backs who have not signed their, their franchise tags. you got Dalvin Cook being released. Uh, you've got... Saquon Barkley with Saquon Barkley won't tag. sign. No, no extension yet. The highest, the team that's paying the most for a single running back in the National Football League this year is the Atlanta Falcons. And that's Bijan Robinson, the guy they just drafted. He's going to make more cash this year in his pocket than any running back in the league. It's crazy. And now Dalvin Cook just gets like kicked to the curb. Yeah, he's coming off. Now listen, he's coming off his fourth in a row thousand yard season. He's got forty seven touchdowns in his career. The guy's a the guy's a stud, yeah. And they're just like, thank, hey, bro, thanks for stopping by. Well, the Vikings are 
hacking off salary in a big way. I mean, they they already traded Zadarius Smith earlier this offseason. Now there are reports that um, veteran pass rusher Daniil Hunter is – I don't know what other teams are hearing, but with Minnesota lopping high-paid players off the roster, people are now calling about Daniil Hunter, the 28-year-old pass rusher, who only has a year left on his contract. But you look at it now, Steve, the Vikings have moved on from Zadarius Smith, who got traded, Eric Kendricks, Adam Thielen, and now Dalvin Cook, and then possibly Daniil Hunter. I don't know about you, Steve, but I think this is all in a move to get Justin Jefferson signed to a big, gigundo contract extension because that guy is probably looking at upwards of $30 million a season after the Tyreek Hill deal last year. I mean, Justin Jefferson led everything across the board in receiving in the entire league. If that's what this – that can't – I don't I – don't, they got to be creating cap space I for be, some reason, I right? don't believe that that can be the – I how can don't you, believe you. I do not believe you um, <laughs> because of this. I don't think the Vikings can sit there – because I don't, so I figure they're like me. I don't know. They're probably not. I may be out to lunch, but all those guys you just named – Just for one guy is what you're saying. Yeah. You think you're better with – that guy out of the and certainly great player, no question about it. Probably the best receiver in the game, right? Dalvin now. Cook has rushed for eleven hundred yards each of the last four seasons. He's got fifteen. He's got over five thousand yards rushing in that time. He's been to the Pro Bowl four times. Look now, him and all those other guys you just named. You'd rather kick all of those guys to the curb to sign. Justin Jefferson to a, a I don't, crazy deal. I don't mind them moving on. Including from Adam, Adam Thielen. I don't mind them moving on from Adam Thielen. I think he's 33, going to turn okay. 34 before the season's over. So he's on the backside of his career. So you save money there to invest in your younger option at the wide receiver position, who's your alpha male in Justin Jefferson. No problem with that move. You trade Zadarius Smith. You know, pass rushers are important. But you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, they still have Daniil Hunter. You know, they got a guy, a proven guy there. Maybe they got a young player in the pipeline that's ready to step up. Okay, but now you're hearing teams are calling about Daniil Hunter, asking if he's available. And he's only got a year left on his deal, and he's still only 28. And then Dalvin Cook's contract, you know, we've heard all offseason that it was cost prohibitive for the Vikings to hold on to him. And they got a pretty good backup there in Alexander Madison. I mean, he's a pretty good player, and we know how much – the running back position's been devalued. So if you got to sign your top receiver, who's probably one of the top five playmakers in all of football, maybe you do have to do something like that if that's what you want. I do it. I, for me? Here's the other thing, too, Steve. I do it. After this year, Kirk Cousins in there. Right. So you better have an alpha male receiver that can make plays with just about anybody throwing the ball. I get it. I, I just think more – it's a passing league. Dalvin Cook's a pass catcher. He can he do is. it. I, I just think that's – I would be more inclined to do what the Chiefs did. Trade the guy. Trade the big guy. Trade the big guy. Get something – that's what they did to – that's what they did to uh, Steph Diggs. They traded their alpha male and drafted this guy. You, you tell me that's the last guy and it's going to be available at that? Come well, on. Well, no. I, you're going to – we've talked about this but He's a also only 24. Uh, like, I, so get a one for him. I, I don't know if you want to play that game let, again. They let were the very in, fortunate 
to trade away Stephon Diggs and replace him with a player who's been even more productive than him. If you did it once, that, you can do beyond, it again. That's beyond – well, I don't know if it's that easy. I know might, receivers are, are, plenty, are plentiful at this day and age in the league, but I, I don't know if I'm guaranteeing I hit a grand slam again. I may only hit a double. And then where does that leave me? So well, it leaves you in the in our scenario we're talking about leaves you with all those guys on your team and the double. But am I better? Am I winning more games? Because I'll tell you right now, Steve, you and I know how fortunate and lucky the Minnesota Vikings were last year. They, they had were... nine one score victories. Nine. I don't actually I think it was ten. Right. I, I don't think that that's gonna come back to the mean You're, this year. You and I, you and I are both believers that they were frauds and it was proven in the playoffs they're frauds yeah i get it but are you better are you better with those guys that you just kicked now certainly some of them are long in the tooth okay that's fine but dalvin cook is the dude man in a modern nfl he's the dude. that means he can catch and run routes and get separation and Hand it to him between the tackles. Yeah, and we'll talk about this more in the second hour because we'll have CBS Sports salary cap expert and former NFL agent Joel Corey joining us on the show to talk about some of this stuff, including what could be a record offseason for the devaluation of the running back position. Because what we've seen this offseason is almost unprecedented. I I have not seen a market at a position in this league – with ever-increasing revenues and ever-increasing salary caps go down to this level in one offseason. Right. It's remarkable. It really is. So we'll yeah. talk to Joel about that in the second he, hour. Yeah. So that'll be an interesting conversation. But I, I got to believe that some of these moves are designed to create enough cap space to get Justin Jefferson signed to a mega deal. Maybe. I don't – okay. All right. But let me just say this, and I'll, do, I'll point it to it again. The Chiefs, they're the gold standard right now, right? They're the world champions. Sure. They, got, they did it after trading a guy like Justin Jefferson. Yeah. That, if you're gonna, it's they a copycat it with, league for a reason. They did it with volume. There's no question about it. They, got, they said, look, we're not paying Tyreek $30 million a year. We'll trade him to a team that's willing to do that. The Dolphins are. The Dolphins are a better team for it, but they're not Super Bowl contenders, at least not yet. And – you know, the Chiefs signed Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster. They draft Sky Moore. They draft Isaiah Pacheco. They draft three cornerbacks who all play big roles. And they use those guys with the elite players they still had in Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, and Chris Jones. And, and they, they won the win. Super Bowl. Yeah. So to, to, to put a little bow on this conversation, Andrew Brandt, friend of the show, ran the Packers for a year. He was Brett Favre's agent for a minute. Or he was uh, – The Packers. He uh, was – uh, Aaron Rodgers' agent for a second, and then he ran the Packers. Yeah. Um, Austin, he says this in his on his Twitter feed. Austin Eckler for the LA Ram, LA Chargers said made noise about getting a contract, and the Chargers did basically nothing. Well, they invited him, said, "Hey, if you can find somebody to pay you that, right. have Nobody your agent would. orchestrate the trade." Also, Nobody bit. He also said three franchise tagged running backs cannot get long-term deals from the teams that franchise them. Dalvin Cook is about to be released, as we've been talking about, and and these are some of the best players in the league at their position. The business of being an NFL running back is not a good one. It's not. And these that The, the devaluation guys, is stunning. The top guys in the league yeah. can't get a deal. 
We'll talk about it more in hour number two with Joel Corey from CBS Sports. He's their salary cap expert. So look forward to that conversation in the 2 o'clock hour. The Carolina Panthers announced that cornerback J.C. Horn, their first-round pick from two years ago, will be in a walking boot the next few weeks due to an ankle injury. He'll be okay for the start of training camp, but he is going to see foot specialist, renowned foot specialist, Dr. Robert Anderson. He determined no surgery was necessary, so they're probably breathing a sigh of relief down there. So (laughs) that's a guy you don't want to be without. You know, Frank Reich in year one, you need all of your top talent on the field here, especially with a rookie quarterback likely to be your starter come September. So hopefully he's good to go for training camp, which is the prognosis. So good luck to J.C. Horn. The Washington commander sale, Steve, to the Josh Harris group looks to be nearing the finish line. Uh, There was footage of that prospective ownership group leaving the NFL offices on Park Avenue in New York City after meeting, reportedly, with the league's finance committee. So they're crossing T's and dotting I's here. And, you know, Colts owner Jim Ursay, who's been tweeting freely about the developments of the ownership change, said it could be done in a month or two at the latest. So it looks like it's, it's nearing the finish line there. That's, yeah. Good news, bad news. I don't know. We'll have to see when this other when this group takes over and how they do. Certainly, there's going to be a learning curve, and I've said it before. I've heard it from owners' mouths. You you, you walk into the door as a new new owner, and they basically toss you the keys to the building. And say, hey, good luck. You got to figure it out on your own, and you got to trust the right people, find the right people to hire, and inevitably, there's a lot of house cleaning that goes on. And you can bet that in Washington, there will be. A deep clean, probably um, with ammonia. Yeah, there's Mr. going clean. to be there's going to be there's going to be a transition. Maybe, maybe some acid. <laughs> there's going to be an adjustment period in Washington, big time. I would think. Yeah. So it's not going to be like, oh, turn the lights on, here we go. It's going to be like, you know, we got some work to do before we can open up shop. One guy we haven't talked a whole lot about here in the spring on the Bills roster is Dalvin Cook's younger brother, James Cook. He made a list on NFL.com of nine players who will improve in 2023. He was ranked fourth on the list. Here's what they had to say about Cook. When you lose a fumble on your first NFL carry, you get buried. That's what happened to Cook, who coughed up the football in his first snap of the nationally televised kickoff game against the defending champion Rams. The Bills round up winning in blowout fashion, but it took a while for the rookie to get back into the regular rotation. In fact, he didn't log 20 snaps in a game until December. However, he sprinkled in plenty of promise as a runner and receiver, and with last year's leading rusher Devin Singletary now in Houston, Cook is a prime candidate for a year to breakout. I mean, I think we all agree it's probably still going to be a committee-type approach, but I, I would be surprised if he's not the guy getting the most work in terms of touches, and I'm talking carries and receptions. Total touches I'm talking here. I think it starts out that way. I think given the way they run the, the show here, best guy is going to get it. Certainly James Cook is going to be the guy that lines up there at the number one in the beginning because he's got more experience in this offense with the play calls, with the players, with the coaches, more familiarity, more trust, quite frankly. And the, 
they'll give other guys a chance to earn their way onto the field in a bigger role or a different role or whatever. Uh, but until somebody plays better is a is a viable or a visibly better option than James Cook, he's gonna he's gonna hold on to that role. That's just the way they work it. You gotta you gotta I guess if you call it you gotta beat the champ. And right now James Cook is the guy standing there. So he unless he figuratively or literally fumbles it, it's his spot. But I think there's going to be other guys that are going to be allowed to compete. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, they're going to rotate in no matter what. And I think there are going to be some game situations that arise where the coaching staff chooses to go with a more bruising type runner for maybe some tough yards. And that's when Damian Harris and Latavius Murray probably get that's, called up. That's where I think this coaching staff does it the most. They come out and they'll give guys situational reps, like for a, a month or whatever, early in the season, or the preseason. James Cook will be the guy in on first and second, third down or whatever. But then on short yardage, goal line, or in when they're backed up, or whatever, you know, Damian Harris or Latavius Murray goes in or Naheem Hines goes in, and they start taking those reps. And then that those reps increase or decrease depending on his production, and then, yeah. you know, kind of go from there, and that's where it begins. And they never, ma- they never really make the switch. It's more of an evolutionary process. You know what I mean? Yeah, they kind of go with the flow. Who's performing well? Who's got right. a hot hand? You so know, Cook will start the game when he needs a blow. You're the first guy in, and then – you know, next year, then you're going to take a series, and then you take two series, then you're going to get half the game, and then all of a sudden you're the guy, you know. But it takes – to me, it takes weeks for these changes to happen with this coaching regime. We'll see if that changes uh, this season. Question of the day for you to discuss with us. Which Bills player do you think is the most important to sign to a contract extension? 803-0550, the number to get on board, one 888 the toll-free number if you're outside the 716 calling area, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. And part of the reason we ask this is a lot of times we see Brandon Bean signing a player with a future here to a contract extension in, you know, July, August, right before the season. There's a history of him doing that. He did it with Deion Dawkins. He did it with Tredavious White. He did it with Dawson Knox. I think he even did it with Taron Johnson. So Josh Allen did it. So a host of players have signed long-term contract extensions in the late summer months right before the season. We know that Brandon Bean just said the other day that they're going to have to make some moves to get under the cap when they put the 53-man roster together because that's when the top 51 salaries count against the cap and their projection for that roster has them over the cap. So you got to create cap space somewhere. One way to do it is by signing a player to a contract extension and reducing their cap hit for the current year to create cap space. The other is to move players off the roster via trade. And, you know, you can cut them outright as well if, if you feel that's the best way to do it. So we're trying to go with the positive end of that equation and say, hey, who are they going to sign to a contract extension, or who do you think they should sign to a contract extension going forward? Who should have a long-term future here? Um, and we can help you out with 
some of the expiring contracts this year. I'll run down the list real quick. So here it's a long list, by the way. Micah Hyde, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Leonard Floyd, A.J. Epinesa, Gabe Davis, Jordan Phillips, Tyler Matikavich, Puna Ford, Tyrell Dotson, Dane Jackson, Trent Sherfield, Damian Harris, David Edwards, David Questenberry, Quinton Morris, although I think he'll be a restricted free agent, A.J. Klein, Latavius Murray, Shaq Lawson, Brandon Shell, Matt Barkley, Dean Marlowe, Kyle Allen, Cam Lewis, Ike Butker, and Traven Howard. Dude. It's a long list. It's a long list. Um, so, or maybe you've got a candidate that's their contract doesn't expire for two years, and you think they should get signed to a contract extension. You know, Taron Johnson's contract is up in 2025. Do you want to spread him out again? He's only 26 years old, you know. Deion Dawkins is 29. His contract's up in 25 when he'll be 31. Do you, want any, do you want to add any more to his contract? Maybe not. You know, Spencer Brown's only 25, but you probably want to see more from him this year before you make a call on that deal. So, you know. Yeah, what you can do, too, is, is give him the exact same money, uh, spread it out over a longer t- Like a guy like Deion Dawkins, for instance. I'm not sure. I don't know if Deion would want to do this. He's restructured a couple of times uh, the he, last few years, too. Right. So if he's restructured, maybe this will – his dead cap hit, uh, I don't know have that on front. Here's what it is. He's got four years, $58 million that he signed. It goes through, like you said, it goes through uh, his age 29. He's age 29 now. He's got a couple, goes through 25. What you can do is add more money onto it if you want, but guarantee everything that's on the contract now and then spread it out over like a five-year deal so you can – and, and what that means, folks, is anything you pay a player in that year that's bonus and not salary, that's any, anything outside his regular salary, if you give him money like on a bonus or a workout, whatever, it goes super extended out the life of the contract. So it's it gets amortized. It's yeah. amortized over the life of the contract. So if it's a five-year deal, that money you pay him this year gets divided five ways. That's why you get that gap where you can give him a lot of money, but it only counts a fraction um, – towards this this year's cap you can play with those numbers all you want sooner or later the numbers are real those numbers all come back to roost and it comes back to how much cash you actually have out there and i think the bills are up i think up up around actual cash out is like 239 or something this year but they're still under a 224 million eight hundred thousand dollar cap because of the proration Sooner or later, that money comes back to roost. And as much money as you want to spend, you're still not spending that far over the cap, even in a year where you're a little bit fat. So if you have a player in mind, which Bills player do you think is the most important to sign to a contract extension? you got all those defensive tackles whose contracts are coming up, with the exception of Ed Oliver. And there's a host of other players, too, including a couple of defensive ends. You let us know at 803-0551-888-550-2550. We're back to take your phone calls when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right.
right, here we are. One Bills Live on a Thursday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And question on the table today is, which Bills player do you think is the most important to sign to a contract extension? Very often we see Brandon Bean signing a player to a long-term deal in August. Who is your candidate that you would prefer to see that happen for? 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to call. And we lead off today with Tony in Syracuse. How are we doing, Tony? Hey, not too bad, guys. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit off topic, but it still is about players and, and personnel and whatnot. Okay. So, and, uh, Steve, I, I think you, you know quite a bit. I know you do too, Brownie. But, um, so you said something about Delvin Cook and about him being the guy and, and whatnot. And, and a couple of Saturdays ago there was a show where I forget who it was, but they were talking about 1,400 or 1,800 carries combined with college and running back historically drop off a cliff. They're no longer the guy. Um, very few ex- exceptions. Derrick Henry, I think Leonard Fournette, and obviously is why. But but anyway, you said something about that and and then getting rid of Justin Jefferson and getting getting a bunch of picks back and keeping your players. And it, I have a question now uh, about – the, the the staff that is going out and looking at players at college, high school, whatever, and how they're selecting them. And we all know the crapshoot uh, of drafting players. And, and you said, just go get another one. And my question is, is, you know, I quickly looked at kind of what those people make. Um, it's not very, you know, very much compared to the other team that they, that the organization, you know, <laughs> bankrolls the players themselves. Why don't they invest a lot more into the people doing the analytics and looking at the players and making the, the recommendations? It seems to me that the team that puts together the superstars staff um, on, on draft day to, to, to pick the absolute best players consistently, there's got to be a million data points that you could put together to build this superstar team. Because you're right, you know, Steve, if you never had to pay a second contract and you were constantly on rookie deals with all of your superstars, I mean, think of, think of that team, you know, how, you know, a stud in every single position. Um, you know, I work in aerospace. I, I, I've seen some pretty magical stuff done, you know, putting together a, a list of attributes and things and some data to, to be a lot more consistent and successful at who you're picking. Yeah. You know, I seen offering these guys eighty, a hundred thousand dollars a year and, and and just, you know, not really, you know, imagine you paid your guys a million dollars and you put together a team of ten guys like that to to go out and find you the superstars in the draft. Well, and just nobody does that. Yeah, well, I, I would tend to disagree with you, Tony. And I mean I appreciate the call and what you're saying, but the level of investment in the draft in terms of the personnel departments across this league there are tens of millions of dollars invested in that end of the football department, not only for the personnel staff that they hire, but for the travel budget to go see all these players. And just about every team in this league has an analytics department. The smaller ones, number three or four, the larger ones are up to about 12 or 15. They spend the money. They know that the lifeblood of this league and of keeping a team competitive is drafting well. But as we have said, year over year over year, despite all of those efforts, it is still very much an inexact science. And no one has really been able to perfect it to any consistent degree 
year after year after year after year. You'll, I mean, look at the Seattle Seahawks. You know, as Steve has mentioned before, they had the one draft class where they had four starters come out yeah, of it. Two, it was two Bobby Wagner. Two consecutive. Yeah, Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, right. K.J. Wright. All those guys came in a pair of draft classes back-to-back. That team went to the Super Bowl twice just by virtue of the fact that they had two good draft classes in a row, which is almost unheard of. They haven't had a draft class like that until just last year. So you're going back to 2010, and they didn't hit on four draft choices that impacted them in year one the same way until 2022. I mean, well, that's his, 12 years later. Tony, Tony's right, though. You're right, Tony. If if you had... I'm just saying it's hard, despite right, it all is. those efforts. It If you had the ability to draft, like, se- out of seven picks, draft the right seven guys... Every year, you do it. The problem is this, and I, and I get what you're saying. In a, in, in, in a certain way that you said that, you want to pay your scout, get a guy who's worth a million bucks a year as a scout who can pick those guys. Well, okay, now you've got another problem. How do you find the guy who's good enough to pay a million bucks who's going to draft? You're, now you're drafting scouts, <laughs> right? Who's the first-round scout? A guy who can prove to you that he can pick the guys Every single year, instead of drafting players, you're trying to draft an analytics guy. But that guy doesn't exist. Right. He nobody, may not. He may not. We've said it all the time. It's like a baseball batting average. If a general manager in this league is batting 300, they're doing a darn good job. If they're right. batting 400, they're elite. Yeah, but the point is, the, the point is you exchange one problem for another. If there is a guy out there or a bunch of guys, you want to pay him a million bucks to pick players. And they, how are they going to turn out to be worth? They can't miss, right? So you get a guy out there, all of a sudden, you get a guy who nicks all the data points. All the, the problem is he's got a disability someplace, right? He's, something happens. He, he's got a personality flaw. Or maybe his, run, his perfection streak runs out. Or whatever. And now you're paying him a million dollars. The point <laughs> is, you're right. Scouting is absolutely the lifeblood of the National Football League. The better you do it, the better you're going to play, and the less misses you have. Smart guys, and I'm not saying the smartest guys ever, but a lot of smart people over the years have tried to revamp it and looked at it. They've had people look at it with fresh eyes. You bring in consultants, say, how can we do better at this? They talk to them, and the consultants look at it with fresh eyes and say, why don't you use this data points and pick the data points and prioritize all do this re- stuff. Or they do research. They History do research. has shown this. All of that. They, they slice and dice this a gazillion different ways. It would uh, blow your mind if you knew how many ways they the slice The simple it. fact of the matter is, if, if I want to oversimplify, and I, I guess I will just for the sake of our radio show, human beings make it impossible. Not only on the one end of scouting and stuff, but when you pick them, they're still human beings. And this guy is more physically gifted Touches all the data points better, but this guy who looks like a bag of donuts is a better player by far. You can't that that human beings render all the analytics useless because what happens inside a guy's brain and inside his heart and the environment that he's dropped into affect what happens going forward. And that's really analytics aren't predictive yet. In my, that's what they're trying to find. They're not predictive. They can only quantify what's already happened. 
right. because these human beings can change their entire fortunes with one decision on a day that you don't even know what it is. And you are right about, I think the number you were looking for is 2,000 total carries. Once a running back hits that between their college and pro career, there is data that suggests production will go down precipitously. So I think that's the number you were looking maybe for. That's where, maybe that's where Dalvin Cook is yeah, right he's, now. He's close. He's like at 1850 or 1900. Yeah. Um, to me, though, if that's the data you're using, don't you trade that guy even for a bag of footballs or well, something? Apparently they were trying, and they were unsuccessful, yeah. which only further speaks to the devaluation of the running back yeah. position. Let's get back to the phones and to John on the west side as we're asking you, which Bills player would you prefer to see get signed to a contract extension next? What do we got for what do you got, what do you got John? Hey, how you doing, Steve and Brownie? Good. How good. are you guys? Doing good. Yeah, I just um I heard the list that you um bring out and um the one player that I think that they should resign to the extension is Greg Rousseau. Okay. Before he gets like twelve, fifteen or eighteen six because I think he just gets better and better every year. And with um, Von Miller and the guy we just signed from the Rams, him learning from them, he's going to be an expensive player if he gets up to 15, 18 sacks. That's all I got to say. I'll listen to all you right. guys. Yeah, John, that's, that's, a, a, good, I, that's a good pick. I, I like, he's not eligible yet. Right. You have to play three years in the league before you're eligible if, to get signed to a contract. If you're a first-year player, I mean a, a first-round player, yeah, he's on a five-year deal, and you have to play at least three years of that. Now they, you know, they'll pick up his his contract, and I, I kind of agree with that. I think Greg Rousseau is one of those guys you can see gradual and steady improvement on. He's he has played extremely well for the club since day one. It's hard for rookies to do that in this in this under this regime right away, as we've seen with other players. Rousseau has really played well, really played well. Time and I think the- he's ascending. And I and I do think whether the time is now or whenever, yeah, he's a guy they are not going to let get out the door. Tied for the team lead in sacks last year with Von Miller at eight and missed three or four games with a high ankle sprain that we learned after the season was over was never really right after even, he, even after he came back. So hopefully he can stay healthy this year and, and really – we can see a spike in his production even further. Uh, I've talked about it a lot on this show, Steve, and I know we got to get the break here, but year three for a lot of players in this player development system in Buffalo have breakout seasons in year three. Greg Rousseau is going into year three. Yeah, I like we'll, that. Thanks, John. Yeah, we'll take a break here, but when we come back, more of your phone calls as we want to know which Bills player you think is the most important to sign to a contract extension Going forward, open lines for you at 803-0550, the number to get on board. We're back in a minute here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, back here on One Bills Live. Chris, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Which Bills player do you think is the most important to sign to a contract extension? Let's go to the tweet sheet. Brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company. The buffer, what are you miming over there? There was something. There was I, something was on my mic. I was like a okay. cobweb or something. I, I got gotcha. you. I got it. Thank you. Uh, we begin with Eric, who says Gabe Davis. Clearly, he was compromised all season with the high ankle injury from last year. We know he had it early in the season. Kind of played through it. Uh, we know Brandon Bean referenced it as well. 
when talking about Gabe's 2022 campaign. I'll say this. If you do, if you're the Bills front office and you do think Gabe Davis had an off year because he was injured and had nicked up and, and you think he's got a lot under his hood, now's the time to sign him. Oh, to get him for less money? Yeah. Right? What, what kind of GM would you be, Steve? Would you be more inclined to get a guy done early if you're convinced, or do you need to see it, proof in the pudding, and wait? And I'd rather pay more and know than pay less and hope. Do you know what I mean? Like, which side of the fence are you on there? Well, here's the thing. If you pay less and hope, and if you're wrong, you're out less money on the cap anyway by getting rid of the guy. If you pay more and then he stinks, you know, that it's all it all, it's all about what happens after the contract. And if it goes belly up, either way, you're better off you sign him early. Okay. I don't know if you answered my question, but Well, I'd say sign him early. Cheaper's better. Sign him early. Okay. Cheaper's better. And if you you gotta believe in the guy. Yeah. You know, that's it. Certainly, I mean, there's no guarantees about anything, but that's the way I feel about it. I think you, you have to know your – you have to spend time knowing your guys. You, and Brandon Bean and his scouting staff, it's all well and good for them to go out and look at these guys on other teams. You know, the pro personnel look at the pro teams like the USFL, XFL, CFL, and the NFL. They keep files on those guys. The college guys go out and find out about all those guys. So you got these guys going – it also pays – it pays off when you – Talk to your own coaches who see these guys every day and get a knowledge of who you have mm-hmm. and how good are they. You got to know that. You got to know that. You got to know how good your guy is and why he wasn't good. So that if you do get a guy like Gabe Davis, who you believe and your coaches believe, no, 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 Gabe's our guy. I love the guy. He's everything we want. He's good. He had a hard year last year. He was struggling the whole time. I saw it every day in meetings. He's, in, he's on, got ice in his ankle every single day in meetings. He's trying to get better, and he just can't get rid of the injury. So when he gets healthy, he's going to be the guy we thought he was going to be. Well, sign him. You know? Sign him. Don't wait till he has a 1,500-yard, 20-catch, 20-touchdown season before you sign him. Sign him now. Yeah. But you got to know those things. He is in the last year of his rookie deal, as we know. So that is the kind of player – contract-wise, that Brandon Bean will eye up and decide whether to sign them and into I know, a contract extension. I know it's a different atmosphere, but it's a, it's a great tweet from Eric, but I know we're a different atmosphere. But remember when he came in? As a rookie, under this co- same coaching staff, he caught the first pass of the entire season in 2020. Yeah. The first pass that was completed by a Buffalo Bills player was from Josh to Gabe Davis. As a rookie, he was on the field. He had 35 catches that year for seven touchdowns. Had three touchdowns called back. That's right. Could have had 10. And his production has been pretty much the same each of the next two years. Um, I think they were hoping for a drastic spike in production with all the snaps that he got last year, but that just did not come together. As we all know, his catch rate was at about 52%, which obviously impacted things. And I wouldn't put all of those misfires or drops on Gabe. 
I think Josh would be the first to tell you that, you know, there was a couple of air mailers in there. Right. Um, or outside the body frame, high degree of difficulty catches involved. But his play was uneven last year. I think that's safe to say. And I think they're hoping for a bounce-back season from him, and hopefully full health will do that. It's interesting. and Obviously, Eric thinks he is the guy that they should snatch up because he has some faith in him. We have to take a break here because when we return, we're going to be talking with CBS Sports NFL contracts and salary cap expert Joel Corey, who's the host of Inside the Cap podcast. He's also a former agent. So we'll catch up with Joel as we talk about the Dalvin Cook situation. We can talk about possible extensions that he sees on the horizon for the Bills all in hour number two here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, time for hour number two here on a Thursday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Happy to be joined now by CBS Sports salary cap expert Joel Corey joining us here on the show, who's also the host of the Inside the Cap podcast. Joel, thanks for making some time for us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So let's begin here. I wanted to bounce uh, the Bills news off of you first. Ed Oliver signs a contract extension this week, and it's not top of the market money. And I think most of us understand why. But after some giant contracts were handed out to some other defensive tackles, Oliver's extension, I don't know if I want to say it's team friendly. It's still a lot of money. But I'm just wondering where you kind of came down on it after getting eyeballs on it. Well, he's represented by Joel Siegel, who also represents um, Deron Payne and Dexter Lawrence. I thought this was the best deal that Joel Siegel did from a player perspective. I would have let Ed Oliver play on his $10.75, million fifth-year option. He says he's going to outplay the contract. That remains to be seen. I'm not having $45 million in guarantees for Ed Oliver based on what he's done his first four years, 28 basically fully guaranteed at signing. Um, you pay a guy for what you expect him to do, not what he's done. So they're expecting him to more or less live up to the draft position, which I don't think he has yet. But um, what's done is done. Cap number dropped basically a little more than half. So it's good from that perspective for the Bills. And where do you think the defensive tackle market is going? There's a couple of guys in line, and Brownie just mentioned, that are in line for extensions. Ed Oliver gets signed before those guys. So where do you think the market goes? Well, there's one more out of that draft class that still needs to be signed 2019. And that's some um, Quentin Williams with the jets. Um, that's basically should not be a hard deal to do because you've got Jeffrey Simmons at 23 and a half. You've got Lawrence at 22 and a half. He's going last to me. As soon as Simmons was done, that was his floor. So maybe 24, you're going no more than 25 million per year. If the Jets want five years and all these other deals are four, you got a problem. 
And then Chris Jones said, I hope all these young guys blow it out of the water or something to that effect. He's in a contract year. He's got a cap number over $28 million, And he's probably looking at, I want Quentin Williams to get as high as possible. The highest paid non-quarterback is Aaron Donald at $31.7 million per year. Chris Jones was the best non was the best interior defensive lineman last year. He's probably looking to get as close to Donald as possible. I don't think he passes Donald, but he's looking to get as close to 30 as he possibly can. And then shifting it to the running back position with the Dalvin Cook news that we got today. I mean, it's not surprising to any of us, but it looks like it's going to actually happen before the week is out officially. And this is a guy that's, you know, 27 years old. Uh, Didn't exactly have the best offensive line in front of him last year, which impacted his production. And they're saying, well, we couldn't even find a trade partner to trade this guy. And he's going to be out on the street here, it looks like, uh, very soon. And, you know, you pointed out in a recent write-up on CBS Sports about how the Giants and Saquon Barkley are still at an impasse He's still sitting out there tagged, but no extension. And they only have got about a month to figure that out if they want an extension done. Are, are, I mean, we all know that the running back position has been devalued, Joel. But this offseason almost seems unprecedented for, for where it's gone in terms of value. Yeah, it's going backwards. You had eight running backs averaging $12 million per year or more at the end of the last season. You're going to have five when Cook is released. I'm assuming no one's going to step in at the 11th hour and trade for his $11 million salary this year. You'll have five. Um, Cook's supposed to make 11. He's got $2 million, which is guaranteed. There's an offset. Um, but he'll be lucky to get half from some team as far as I'm concerned. I say that because of the late stage of the year. He's getting released in June. The best running back deal in free agency was Miles Sanders at $6.35 million per year, then David Montgomery at six. Um, Saquon, they supposedly offered 12 at the bye week last year, guided up to 13. I don't know the structure, but if it's a decently structured deal, um, he should have taken that. Uh, supposedly, they went back to the table and lowered the offer, which to me, that's going to make it hard to get a deal done because you're going to need to give him a way to save face if he made a mistake and not taking the offer. And it's hard to say that without knowing all the details in terms of what the guarantees look like and how the cash flow is in the deal. So when you look at the running back, you got Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, these guys with the, you know, they got the hack cap hits and Bijan Robinson is getting more cash this year than any running back in the league bar none. The guy who got drafted the top, this is a position. What's going to happen with this position? Is the pendulum going to swing farther enough away that they're going to be devalued? And will it ever swing back towards them where they are valuable again? Well, I'm going to go back to something that happened a few years ago. The Devonta Freeman at one point was the highest paid running back. And he was, I think, at eight and a half a year. There were two running backs in 2011. Um, Adrian Peterson, who signed for $14.2 million a year, and C- and Chris Johnson was at 13.5. Then you had other guys in the eight and a half, nine million range. They all dropped out. And then Ty Gurley gets a deal for over $14 million per year, takes the market back up. And then you had all these guys spilling around him Ezekiel Elliott at 15. McCaffrey's the highest paid guy to shade over 15, 16 now. 
So I think the pendulum is going to swing, provided that B. John Robinson plays well as the eighth, eighth overall pick. And then you have Gibbs, who, after Detroit signed um, Abe Montgomery, drafted him <laughs> that high. Um, you had a while, you didn't have backs going in the top 10. Now you had two this year. So if these two top 10 backs play well, then the pendulum is going to swing back. The one guy that I'm interested to see how the deal works is Jonathan Taylor, who's in a contract year. Um, he got hurt this year, had his worst year as a pro, but he looked like the guy that was going to advance the ball. I still think he might get an extension. They can afford to pay him because Anthony Richardson's on his rookie contract, so you don't have a high-priced quarterback taking up cap room, and you really want to lean on the running game when you have a rookie quarterback. Joel, with, with Minnesota tossing veteran players overboard, either by trade with Zadarius Smith or just outright release, um, they're shedding an awful lot of salary. And, okay, if you're tight on the cap, we understand why you got to do that. But is, is getting – Justin Jefferson signed to an extension. The other part of the equation here as to why they're just tossing people overboard. Yeah, they came out and said he was a high priority um, early in the offseason. They don't have to do him this year because he has two years left on his rookie contract. But he clearly, from a productivity standpoint, you should want to do him sooner rather than later. Because for elite players, the longer you wait, the more it's going to take to get the guy done. He's the most productive receiver for the first three years in an NFL career. So you're talking at least highest paid wide receiver. Now, that's Tyreek Hill at $30 million per year on paper. But it's, cosmet- it's a cosmetically deal that's auto- artificially inflated because the last year has $45 million. It's really $25 million per year. The highest paid guy on a real deal is Cooper Cup at a shade over $27 million per year. But I'm not setting my sights there if I'm Justin Jefferson. There is league-wide precedent for having a wide receiver be the highest paid non-quarterback. It happened in 2011 with Larry Fitzgerald, 2012 with Calvin Johnson. The new money average for um, DeAndre Hopkins in 2020 made him the highest paid non-quarterback. And on paper, Tyreek Hill became the first $30 million per year non-quarterback so I'm looking to be the highest paid non-quarterback if I'm Justin Jefferson that would put me at about 32 million per year on a deal what do you think about the Vikings building a roster the way it seems they're building it they got Kirk Cousins who's coming to the end of the end of the line there in Minnesota they're they jettisons Adam Thielen they've got all these other guys now Dalvin Cook's out the door and they're going to save the one guy who has been massively productive well there's actually been a couple Cook has been another guy that's been really productive it seems as though they're throwing really good players, tossing them to the curb in favor of one great player. Um, well, it's actually going to be two, not not great players, but they made a trade to get T.J. Hawkinson. They didn't give up all that draft capital or have him walk out the door. He's in a contract year. Right. They could franchise him next year, and the tight end number for a franchise tag hasn't been relative to where the top of the market is, so it's great value for a team. But if I'm T.J. Hawkinson, I'm like, Justin Jefferson is great and all of that, but I'm in a contract you need to do me as well. So we'll see if he's part of the equation. They have Daniil Hunter, who's been unhappy with his contract since he signed it, since he never should should have. He's only making $5.5 million this year because they advanced money um, from 2023 to try to placate him. Are they going to trade him or are they going to pay him market rate for a – someone who can put pressure on the quarterback consistently, which would be north of $20 million per year. 
We've seen Brandon Bean sign a lot of players in August to contract extensions. That's what he did with Josh. He did it with Deion Dawkins, Tredavious White, Dawson Knox, uh, Taron Johnson. So do you have a, a candidate, if you had to pick one, that you could see the Bills? Because Brandon said this week, you know, their projection for their 53-man roster has them over the cap. So when they get down to roster decision time, they're going to have to make some moves, either moving people off the roster via trade or maybe creating some space by signing somebody to an extension. you have anybody you like? or? Well, I would say Gabe Davis would be the candidate. He was inconsistent to me last year. Um, I don't know if I would extend him, but you got two candidates where you can get cap room. Um, Tredavious White would be a restructured candidate, and Deion Dawkins, that would be the place where you could get the cap room. You've already – restructured Stefan Diggs, you've restructured Von Mill, and you've restructured Josh Allen, so you can't get cap room for those guys. So your cap room most likely will come from, I would think, restructures from Dawkins and White. We cut, We talk about these contracts and, and all these position groups, and we all know that the one position group that sets the market is the quarterback spot. And it seems to me, and I may be missing somebody, but Joe Burrow is the next guy in line who's going to get one of those – Pat Mahomes kind of deals where everybody talks about that contract for a couple of weeks. What kind, What does Joe Burrow's contract look like to you? Like the length of it, obviously the structure, you can be as creative as you want, but what do you think that next, you know, topic of conversation is going to look like? Other well, two guys are going to get paid, I think, before the regular season starts. Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, I tend to think whoever goes last ends up with the biggest average. Burrow's more interesting from the standpoint that Mike Brown, the principal owner, it's a family-run business in Cincinnati, has expressed an affinity for that Patrick Mahomes contract, which was very backloaded and team-friendly in the early years. The thing people don't realize about that deal is it averaged $45 million per year when Russell Wilson was the highest-paid guy at $35 million per year. That's almost a 30% market increase. So if I'm going to go that route is Joe Burrow from an agent standpoint, you never want to sign too long of a deal because we've seen with Mahomes that it hasn't kept pace with the market. So if you're trying to maximize dollars, that's not the way to go. If you have other objectives or you're trying to have a happy medium between getting fairly compensated or well compensated and leaving room to keep talent around you, which seems to be Mahomes' objective, then you may go that route. But about a 30% increase from where the market is now, which is Lamar Jackson at $52 million per year, puts you right around 67.5 per year, which sounds crazy on a 10-year extension, $675 million over 10 years, but nobody expected the market to jump the way it did when Mahomes signed to where he's being pushed down in the top 10, where it's at the point where the uh, Chiefs recognize they're going to have to adjust this contract because he's in year one of the 10 new years of the deal. Um, if it's left to Brian Irock, um, Burroughs agent, he signs a traditional deal and it'll be the, the new norm is five years. So it'll be a five year extension, seven years under contract total. It'll be right around 55 million per year. The Bengals will have to change how they do business. They don't guarantee anything outside of signing bonus and contracts, and that's not going to fly with Burrow. You're going to have to give base salary guarantees. Pittsburgh was the same way, but 
change or establish new precedent for T.J. Watt. I expect that to happen with Burrow. Um, and Herbert's going to be right up there as well. He's going to get more than Lamar Jackson. It's just a question to me. Whoever goes last um, will get the bigger average. Last one from me, Joel. You know, DeAndre Hopkins is going to visit with the Titans over the weekend. Um, I think a lot of people thought that if the Cardinals released him, people would come out of the woodwork looking to sign him. The market's been soft. Obviously, the timing's not good because most teams have spent their money um, to get their rosters where they want them. What do you think is a realistic number for Hopkins to sign for? I mean, we know teams want it to be as low as possible, but what do you think is reasonable for Hopkins at this late stage of the offseason? Well, is he trying to maximize dollars? Does he want to win a ring? Because he hasn't had much playoff success in his career. Uh, Mike Vrabel knows him well because he was the linebackers coach and defensive coordinator for, I think, four of Hopkins' years in Houston. Um, I think Tennessee is a place where he can get money. That's a place that paid Robert Woods $10 million, per year, $10 million last year, and DeAndre Hopkins is better. But at the same time, I'd be leery about an older receiver in Tennessee because they traded for Julio Jones, paid him $15.3 million for one year, and that didn't work out. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. messed everything up with DeAndre Hopkins because you got a guy who missed all of last year, gets $15 million fully guaranteed, no per-game roster bonuses, $3 million left of, uh, of incentives as well. So he can max out at 18 on a one. Hopkins has to be thinking, wait a minute, I've been better than this guy for the past few years. He didn't play last year. That should be my floor. It won't be. Julio Jones last year signed a one-year deal for six, right, started training camp. Uh, with Tampa, he had two million coming from Tennessee because there was a guarantee of no offset, so it was really eight. So I'm really thinking Hopkins is probably going to be somewhere between six and nine on the base value, and then they're going to be incentives, which are going to take it up even higher. It has to be not not likely to be earned. It has to be more than what he did last year, which is 64 catches, 717 yards, and three touchdowns. If he is the DeAndre Hopkins of old and not an old DeAndre Hopkins, he should easily exceed those numbers. Well, you mentioned it, Odell Beckham Jr. signs with the Baltimore Ravens. Do you believe in the transformation they plan on giving Lamar Jackson the ability to do? Now they're going to they're gonna throw the football. They knew a new offensive coordinator. They paid him the contract he wanted. They got him Odell Beckham Jr. They drafted a guy. Uh, is, is Baltimore going to be a different type of offense than we've seen, and are they going to be able to be successful? Well, Lamar at Louisville was more of a pocket passer than the Greg Roman offense. The thing is, you still have to count for the threat of the run because that's still there. So it may open things up in the passing game. And now he should have better weapons between drafting Zay Flowers, signing Odo Beckham Jr. He should be healthy since he was out all of last year. So the knee shouldn't be the issue. So maybe a work in progress this year, and we won't see the true results until 2024. They still have Mark Andrews as a tight end. So um, the defense is good. They're going to be right there um, contending in the AFC North. We'll see if they can get over the hump and get past the first round in a playoffs this year. Joel, thanks for the time. As always, we appreciate the insight. Enjoy your summer. We'll catch up with you soon. You too. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, that's Joel Corey, CBS Sports salary cap expert. Also, he is the host of Inside, what is it called? Inside the Cap podcast. Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. I had to look it up.
but uh, does a good job kind of putting it in layman's terms, I'll say. Yeah, he's been an agent in his past. He was a former sports agent, and he's, so he's got that side of the equation kind of under his belt. And it's, it's always interesting to me because agents have to have the wherewithal to understand the, the long-term implications of the cap and how it affects the player on the field. And that all sounds a little bit convoluted, but it does. Um, the Mahomes deal, we couldn't stop talking about it because it was a half a billion dollar deal uh, over a 10 years. And that 10 years is just starting now, right? So um, it's an enormously long contract. There's a balloon payment in it. The structure of the contract is something that's really hard to get your mind around. Guys like Joel Hatton, you know, make a living doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. The, the Burrow contract and the Herbert contract, he's right. Whoever signs last is going to set the market. When he started talking 10 years, $675 million, I, He's right, my though. My eyeballs almost fell out he's of my right, head. He's right, though. No, I, I'm not saying he's wrong. It's just you hear it and you're That's like, where we're at, man. Sixty-seven and a half and you million a year for a quarterback. What? And and he's right too. The Brown family in Cincinnati has been notoriously um, frugal, and Carson Palmer left. Just said, listen, I've had it. You're going to get rid of me, and they and they drove a hard bargain in the trade market and got two ones for Carson Palmer late in his career. Um. It was, a, it was a huge move, but the, they don't budge. The Brown family has been very, very tough to negotiate with and get them to move on their numbers. But I think when you get into a spot like this, if you're Joe Burrow, you kind of got to dig your heels in and say, all right, here's what's going to be. He would seem to have leverage here. I mean, two deep playoff runs in a row – I mean, you, if you asked me... And a Super Bowl is, Well, right, yeah, an AFC title. He is the closest thing, in my estimation, to Tom Brady in terms of his play style, mm-hmm. just getting the ball out, making completions. Purely in pocket. You yeah. know, he is the closest thing in play style to him that I've seen since Brady came into the league. Um, he really adopted that style of play just last year in large part, to reduce the number of sacks he was taking, and it worked. And it worked. And we saw it here in the divisional playoff. The ball was out of his hand at an average of, like, less than two and a half seconds. And if he keeps doing that, he's going to be productive for a long time. I think it's – but he's dealing with a – the most – I don't know, stubborn. The Cincinnati ownership group – does not care about public opinion. Not that they don't care, but they will not be swayed by it. No matter how much people clamor to sign him, no matter how much the pressure could be intense from the public, you know, from their season ticket holder, they will not overpay for anybody or at least not, you know, cross lines that they have drawn in the sand themselves. So I'm really interested to see how this goes because I think Joel Corey's right. I think you have to change the way you do business as the league evolves. And every time – and it's been a while since Cincinnati's had to put together one of these contracts like this. Carson Palmer, you know, Boomer Esiason back in the day, all the, all the guys that have been through that franchise. It's been a while since they've had a contract like this to deal with. That is correct. Um, yeah, I mean, he's going to get paid. 
I, I think the, I mean, the, you know, the quarterbacks are going to get their money. The one that I'm really keeping my eye on is the Quinn and Williams one. Yes. Because you've had Jeffrey Simmons, Dexter Lawrence, Deron Payne all get top of the market money. Well, with the exception of coming close to Aaron Donald's deal. Does Quinn and Williams get close to Aaron Donald's deal? Does he get $30 million? The Jets head coach, Robert Salas, said, hey, we'll uh, get this done before training camp. And I, I don't know. That's a he, tough one. $30 million when they're trying to renegotiate Aaron Rodgers' contract still as well? Well, that's probably part of the reason why, because they got to pay this guy. Yeah, that's, that's, a tough, that's a tough balancing act there. I mean, because Quentin Williams is great, and he's going to be great for a while. Aaron's, you hope he's great for the next, just the next two, this year and next year. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's what you're kind of looking at. But you got to create cap space from the Rodgers deal so you can sign this guy. And then you're going to be, you're basically going to be handing it to him. Right. I, he's going to be somewhere between 28 and 30 a year. Right. Uh, he's, he's, I mean, he's, just, he's, I mean he's probably one of the closest things to Aaron Donald without he, being Aaron he Donald. Is, he is a monster. No question about it. And he does it from the inside. He's big. He's fast. Uh, he's got it all. He's a game wrecker. So you got you can't let him out the door, right? Well, they did it with Leonard Williams. Wow. I'll say this. <laughs> say what you want. Leonard Williams isn't Quinnen Williams. He's not. And and I'm not saying that and they're he's fast across the street now. Right. I'm not saying that 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 that, that Leonard Williams was a bad guy or anything like that. He was a first-round pick. But you do have to say that they picked one of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. They picked both of them, but they, you know what I mean? They didn't, leave them, they didn't let them both go. If you let them both go, then that draws some questions into how you're doing business. Well, there's a long history of first-round picks not signing second contracts with the Jets. Recent history. Yeah, well, maybe. Well, maybe it changes. I mean, they they seem confident. Are that, the Jets going to be the Jetsiest again? Well, or? they seem confident that they're going to get this deal done before training camp even opens. Care. If it doesn't, it's going to be a daily watch by the New York tabloids. It's going to be a daily thing every single day. Is Quinn in here? Is Quinn in here? How come the Quinn deal is not done? It's going to be monotonous. It's just relentless, and you know, it could develop into a distraction. So. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. I'm I'm very interested to see what. Not only does it get done before camp, but what are the figures? What do they ultimately pay this guy? Right. We got to take a break here. More of your thoughts on the tweet sheet and your phone calls. What Bills player do you think is most important to sign to a contract extension? You let us know at eight zero three zero five fifty. We're back in a few here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and headed straight to the tweet sheet where we're looking for more of your responses in terms of which Bills player you think is the most important to sign to a contract extension. We usually see Brandon Bean do that in August in some way, shape, or form. We know he has to create cap room as well, and extension's one way to do it. So back to the comments, and Casey says, Micah Hyde, realign his years with Poyer again to get somewhat of a definitive exit strategy for the team. I don't know if I agree with that for this reason. You've got Jordan Poyer, who's 32 years old. 
and you've got Micah Hyde, who's 32 years old, and I think they're more than capable right now, but do you want them both coming off of your roster in the same offseason? That's a lot to replace. So to align their contracts to expire at the same time when you know they're much closer to the end of their careers than the beginning, I don't know if I want to do that. I would almost want to stagger their exits so it's less painful I, and, and easier to an easier void to fill if it's I, one at a time instead of both. Yeah, I think they've already addressed that with Taylor Rapp being in the building. Yeah. Um, they're taking their rap is here and he's going to compete. It'll take a, a huge effort to get on the field, but I think the team is really hedging its bets against the guys that are those two guys that are 32. They saw it last year when neither one of them was healthy for any significant length of time during the season. Micah was out for the entire season. If something like that happens at all, Taylor Rapp can slip in and, and do it. Uh, I think they've already started that exit strategy. Yeah. Because they've got insurance policies now. And Rapp is probably a prime candidate to be signed to a contract extension after the season is over, just by virtue of the fact that he is every bit the athlete that Hyde and Poyer are, and he's 26 years old. Right. They'll, so It's Hyde's, an audition, no question. Yeah, Hyde's contract is up this year. Poyer's contract is up after the 24 season. So Rapp is – the guy that carries you into the future. I, at least that's the way I see it. Um, nothing against, you know, Hyde and Poyer, who have been absolute dynamite tandem, one of the best tandems in the league for the better part of the last six years. Right. But all good things must come to an end at some point in time. So I don't, unfortunately, foresee that, Casey. Justin says, Daquan Jones is the easiest answer. He has been the best one technique since Marcel Darius played here. Without his play, the D-line can't be as effective. Proof of that came in the Cincinnati playoff game. Other candidates could be Taron, Micah, Dion, or Mitch. Mitch is so underappreciated by Bill's fans. Mitch Morris, as I've said many times on this show, in my estimation, had his most consistent season in a Bill's uniform last year. Now, he is 31 years old, so... I think you gotta you gotta be strategic there if you're gonna do an extension because you don't wanna you don't wanna go too far into the future, but he is of tremendous value to this team from a leadership perspective, um, from an offensive line perspective, obviously. I mean players look to him. Uh I think Mitch is He's signed through 25, so he'll be Correct. 33 at that point. I, I think he's – and he's got a two-year $19.5 million contract, um, 9.7 this year. I, I think They probably Mitch, ride that out. Yeah, right? exactly. They may, he may give him some relief, put it out there, and sign, use it for a bonus and with a voidable – all that stuff. They may be creative with it, but I think he's, he's right where he's going to be. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of – no on Mitch. I think Mitch is – perfect because of the extension and the work he's already done to help the, the club right and you know we mentioned taylor rap you know as a possible succession plan at safety you know depending on ryan bates who bless you who looks like you know the odds on favorite to serve as mitch morse's backup in addition to maybe playing guard as well yeah. That might be the heir apparent now, at center. Daquan is signed through next year. So he's got this year and next on his no, contract. No, no, I think he's done after this year. This says Daquan, he's going to two-year, $14 million. Yeah, he signed, signed it last 24. year. 
Yeah, so he's done after this year. Oh, it expires in 20. I see. All right. Not yeah. in 23. He signed a two-year deal last year. This is year two of that deal. And that guy's the unsung hero of the defensive line last year. He was mm-hmm. a brick wall. Their best run defender by far. Um, and as steady as they came. I mean, you want to talk about consistency. He was the picture of it last year for that defensive front. Mm-hmm. And the shame of it was he couldn't play in the divisional playoff. And what happened? The Bengals ran for 180-something yards. Right. I mean, it, <laughs> that wasn't by accident. Right. So, yeah. I, now, he is, he is a little bit longer in the tooth. I think he turns 32 this year. I think he's 31 now. He's 31 right now. Yeah. He this might turn 32 before the end of the season. This is so, his ninth year. So you, and that's, that's a grind position down there. Where he's got nine years, this will be his tenth. Yeah. So you've, you've got to, again, when you get guys on the other side of 30, you've got to be strategic in how you structure stuff like that. But he has proven himself to be a valuable asset to that defensive front. So I wouldn't mind it, but I think you've got to be strategic. Ed on the tweet sheet says Greg Rousseau would be the next logical choice. Not sure if it's time yet, though. Yeah, they can't do it until he's played his third season. So you couldn't do it this August, even if you wanted to. Right. But it's a good candidate nonetheless. Let's go back to the phones, and we go to Marie in Amherst. What do you got for us, Marie? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, guys. So what do you think about um, taking some of the burden off of just keeping Jordan Poyer fresh and using more of Taylor Rat to re-sign him to a contract extension. He, he's been looking really good out here, and I think we need to get younger back there anyway, so that would make sense. And another thing, what do you guys think about moving? Because I know that the Bills probably not going to get rid of Gabe Davis, but what do you think about moving him to the slot and Trent Sherfield to the number two and Deontay Hardy backing up Gabe at the slot? I think he's strong, and he could do some moves back there, but that's what I wanted to say. Okay. Thanks for the call, Marie. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if Rap's going to get signed to an extension after they just signed him as a free agent this spring. That's not typically how it goes. I think he's a much greater candidate to be signed or re-signed, I should say, after the season's over. Um, but can't rule it out. I, you know, I don't never say never. And then with respect to slot moving guys in and out, I mean, they tinker and talk about that. They do all the time. But we had Trent Sherfield in studio here, and he said, at least at the outset, the plan was for him to line up a good deal in the slot, and Deontay Hardy's going to line up in there too. And I think because of Hardy's stature at just five six, I don't know if a full time role you know, 50, 60 snaps a game is the right recipe for a five foot six guy to play 17 games. So I could see him as a rotational player in that slot, maybe getting between 35 and 45 snaps a game rather than 55 to 65, just to kind of pace him through the year. Because the smaller guys, it's tougher to get through those seasons in a full-time major role. It might be different now, but my experience playing and being in a wide receiver room in the NFL is this, that every player is evaluated at how they would play at every spot. You go one-on-ones with guys, and you do it from different spots on the field. You do it against different corners. 
and they get an idea for how you work against them, what you can do well, what you really you don't do well, and if certain skill sets obviously are tailored to be a slot receiver, and others are tailored to be the X or the or the Z receiver, the guys outside. Uh, but the slot receiver, it's a different skill set. All these guys are evaluated on those skill sets constantly, every day, uh, particularly during training camp when they're doing in pads and stuff. So if there's a guy like Gabe uh, or like Sherfield or Hardy or anybody who displays the goods to play any spot, X, Y, or Z, you can bet that's where they're going to line up when they get out there. So uh, they're going to line up at their best spot. Um, so if Gabe could play the slot really well and was good at it, he'd already be in there. It's that simple. Yeah. And I think, you know, knowing it's a contract year, uh, knowing he probably wants to redeem himself, I think they're just going to put him wherever they feel he helps the team the best, which should translate into good production for him, which hopefully translates into a new contract for him. Rick on the tweet sheet, when asked who should get a contract extension, says DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there, Rick. You devil, you. Um, I yeah, know. I mean, we just had Joel Corey on earlier this hour, salary cap expert and former agent for CBSSports.com, and he estimates that Hopkins' value on the open market is going to be somewhere between 6 and $9 million a season. So I don't think that's something the Bills can stomach right now uh, based on what Brandon Bean told us about their salary cap situation this week. But it's a clever answer, and, and I get why you want it. You know, what everybody was saying at the end of last season, more weapons, more weapons, more weapons. So I understand, but I don't know if there's room in the budget now. You'd have to move people off this roster and to create the space. Yeah, I'm, there's a big I've, – I've been talking to some people, not, not here in this building, but out on the streets and, and some friends. Um, Man on the streets. Yeah. There's some pe- I, I'm beginning to formulate my opinion. Is I'm thinking DeAndre Hopkins might be washed. Mm. Um, he's had trouble staying healthy the last couple of years. Uh, two years ago, the first year he was in Arizona, he killed it. He had 115 catches, 1,400 yards, 12.2 a catch. That's you know that was that was the big year in Arizona when he you know the Hale Murray against the Bills, which was to me probably the highlight of his career. And then the last two years, he struggled. He had 42 receptions in 21, 64 last year in, in 22. Didn't play a lot. Didn't play all the time because he was hurt. So he's 31, just turned 31 two days ago. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's – I don't know. I, I might have to watch. I haven't seen film. I've watched the guy play. He's a great player. But lately, you don't see enough of him on the field. Yeah. So, he, there's a chance a guy is 31 headed that direction who doesn't really like to practice a lot might be washed. Hmm. And I, I think you got to be really careful It's been a soft market for him. There's no question really that. careful of that. We have to break here. But some final thoughts on the tweet sheet about contract extensions and who you'd like to see get one before we get to the regular season this September. We will be back in a moment here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned.
some final uh, thoughts on the tweet sheet here about who you think should be the next to get a contract extension, perhaps even before the regular season begins. Bills News Consolidated says Reggie Gilliam because fullbacks need love too. Well, that's very sweet of you. Well, there Um, you go. His contract goes through 25, so he's two years away. But, yeah, you could do it. Um, Pat says Dane Jackson should be signed to a contract extension because he has proven himself from coming in last year when everyone went down and did very well picking up the slack. He's tough and scrappy. That he is. It was interesting. He was a restricted free agent this offseason, and he signed you know, a one-year restricted contract but uh i believe if i read it right on spot track that his contract is fully guaranteed so there you go there you go which i think is kind of a tip of the hat to dane on the part of the team like hey we've really appreciated what you've done so that is good he could be a candidate for that it's an interesting question somebody's going to be the next one yeah Uh, whoever it is and when what when it is you're right brandon bean has a pendant a penchant for doing that just before the start of the regular season to clear up some free space to work. Thanks for all your contributions to the show today. Phone calls and tweets. Steve and I will see you tomorrow at one when we've got the ringers, Steven Ruiz joining us. We'll see you then.